0: Hey, good morning. morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Church, Bridgewater Vestal. My name is Josh. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to be back with you. I was here just a few weeks ago, and I'm excited to be back uh, again today. Uh, You ever wished, when you sit through music like that, that you could, do you ever dream of just walking up here, grabbing one of the instruments, hitting a chord and making some music? You ever wonder why more people don't do that? I'm going to take a risk this morning. And just you could just see it happening. You pick up an instrument, and you're just ready to go. And Isaac and the whole team makes it look so easy. And so you just dream of the first chord, and you just... Mm-hmm. I know that's a G. This one's a C. Mm-hmm. Let me try this one. This is a regular C. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know what? Maybe there's a reason why we don't do that. You know, the problem with that guitar is not that it's in the wrong environment, it's actually in the right environment. The problem with that guitar is not that it's not set up and, and easy to play, it's, it is all those things. It's here in church, it's being used for what it's supposed to be used for. Anyone know what the problem with that guitar is? Yeah, you said it, out of tune. Shouldn't surprise you here in our ser- uh, series, In Tune, that guitar is out of tune and you and I, if we're not careful, can be just like this guitar in our spiritual lives, we could be doing the right things, we could be in the right place, we can be with the right people, we can be going through the right motions, but something's off. Something's not quite right. And sometimes it's hard to identify why exactly, though we are followers of God, for those of us who are, why the connection. Doesn't seem to be right. We used the illustration last week of rabbit ears on a TV and how we're trying to get a good signal. And we, So we're looking at how to lean into our relationship with God. How to make sure that the connection, the communication between us and God is clear. And this week we're going to look at another aspect of that in week two of In Tune, Getting a Better Connection with God. I promise I won't play guitar anymore. I'll leave that to the rest of the band. By the way, Rick up here, I saw him in a sling this morning and thought, oh, I guess he's not playing. No, he played. He figured it out. That was pretty impressive. Um, But maybe you're like me. You feel that though you're doing the right things, you think you're on the right track, you just, there's something missing in your spiritual life, something missing in your relationship with God. There's A lot of static, there's a lot of noise, it's just not quite right, and it's hard to put your finger on what's going wrong. And we're hoping, and it's our prayer, that in this series, In Tune, we can help all of us here get a better connection with God. We've been using uh, this word, tune, and tune, there's a couple different aspects to its definition, to its meaning. One is to bring into harmony. Think of like a perfectly sounding orchestra, or the way the band sounded this morning, not like I sounded. Another aspect of the word tune or in tune would be to adjust for precise function, intensity, or effectiveness. And I love this second definition, especially in the context of the life of a follower of Jesus. To adjust our mind, to adjust our life, to adjust the rhythms of our life such that we are in tune with God. Our emotions, our thoughts, our words, our behavior are performing the functions they were meant to perform in the way that they were meant to To perform them. We just came through a sermon series from the book of James where we came across this verse, James chapter 4, verse 8, which says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. We're talking about drawing near to God. And so last week, Aaron talked to you about prayer and fasting. And how we can, through fasting, deliberately set aside something that will distract us from our connection with God. And we fill the void that fasting creates with prayer. And in this way, we can draw near to God, dedicate ourselves to God in a special way for a season. And today, we're gonna talk about another aspect or another way we draw near to God, and that is through worship. I think what we typically Uh, When we hear the word worship, we typically think of organized religion, but you need to know that worship is not simply restricted to the world of organized religion. Everybody worships. Everybody worships all the time. We're always giving our hearts, our allegiance, our emotions, our affections to someone or something. It's just a matter of who or what is receiving that from us. It's March Madness season, brackets busted, not a single one seed in the tournament, Um, If you're not a fan of organized sports, college basketball, or anything, all you need to know is no one did well this year. No one did well. Uh, So we're all kind of, you know, lacking excitement there. But we can worship our jobs. We can worship our spouse. We can worship the idea of an ideal lifestyle. We can worship money. We can worship possessions. We can worship comfort. It's really endless. We are, we are creatures who will set our hearts on anything we're convinced we can gain from. Anything that we hold in high regard and devotion has the potential to be our object of worship. We actually talked to Lane Bonewitz. He's been around here before. He's Bridgewater's director of worship and said, Lane, what is worship? Why don't you tell us what, what worship is? And here's what he had to say. Worship is an informed response of praise, reverence, and adoration. It is how we show what we think someone or, some, or something or someone is worth. We can also do this with anything we hold in high regard. This is what Lane had to say, and I was just impressed with um, his thoughts on that. I think it's true. In biblical worship, his worship according to God's word puts God at the center of our emotions, of our devotion, of our affections. He's the highest priority in our hearts and minds. And now while we would say that worship isn't restricted to simply singing, it really has to do with a lifestyle that demonstrates that God is our highest priority. Today, we want to take some extra time and lean into worship as singing. We're going to talk about worship in church. We'll hit the broad definition of a life of worship, but we'll spend some time talking about the practice of singing praises to God. So how we're going to do that is we're going to jump into an Old Testament story. I would be surprised if you have heard before. So if you are familiar with the Bible, you're going to start at the front. You're going to go about a third of the way in to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to be there pretty much the whole time. If you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, don't you worry. You can pull up 2 Chronicles 20 on your device. We're going to have it on the screen. We are here for you. So 2 Chronicles 20 is where we're going to be. There is a king reigning over the nation of Israel at this point, and he, he has a funny name. I've heard it pronounced a few different ways. The one I'm going to roll with today is Jehoshaphat, all right? Just going to call him Jehoshaphat. A couple of our guys just wanted to call him j because they were not confident that they could pronounce his name. I think I can get Jehoshaphat a few times. Here's the deal. It's the Israelite army, okay? And they are being now surrounded by three different nations. So they're at war. And three different nations have come together, have made allies of of themselves to come against Israel. Uh, The three groups are the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Mayanites. And God's people are being led again by Jehoshaphat. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how they draw near to God, specifically through worship. And we're going to see how we can do the very same thing. So let's jump into the story together. By the way, if you came in today and you do not own a copy of God's Word, you can grab one for free out at the Welcome Center. We'll put one in your hands. You can leave with your very own copy today. So let's start right here, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Here's how it goes. After this, so something has happened, all right? So after, after whatever that was, now this. The Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Maonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in uh, Hezezon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. So the very first interesting, the very first thing this king of the nation of Israel does, is says, we're fasting. So whatever they did to do that, however long they set, it, set apart to not eat, that is what they did. And Jehoshaphat, as an instinct, went there. He knew that they were in trouble. They needed to rely on God, so they were going to fast. Instead of trying to solve the problem themselves, I think we can take a lesson right here. He turned to God immediately. He calls the people to lay down food to help them focus on and draw near to God. Let's keep going, verse 4. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. If you're following along, go down to verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat prays a very powerful prayer here. He says, God, you're stronger than our enemies. You're in heaven. I know that you're capable. I know you can do anything. But frankly, we're very small and we do not have what we need to be able to overcome the enemy that is attacking us, but he says something incredibly important for us to lean into and learn from today. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. A king, a king, the leader who's supposed to have a plan, who's supposed to know exactly what to do, the military commander, he's the guy. And you know what he says? I don't know what to do. We're fasting, we got that down. But beyond that, I I, I don't know. I love his humility. I love that he just says, I I, I don't know, but I'm looking at you, God. If anyone's going to be able to do anything about this, it will be you. Isn't it true that few things get in the way of our connection to God like problems? Life is going so well and we feel so close to God when problems are away from us. Problems are out there. Our kids are well behaved. Our finances are in order. My, my boss is being kind to me, whatever it is. My husband, yeah, he's really come through for me. But these people are being attacked by three different enemies at once. But it's interesting that that's not what Jehoshaphat sees. He sees God. He chooses to take his eyes off of what is attacking him and put them on the one who can do something about it. And check out the results of seeking God through fasting and through prayer that God did for his people. Look at verse 14. It says, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah. As he stood in the assembly, now look at verse 15, he said, listen King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. I read that, and I get the advantage of reading the rest of the chapter. But I can imagine being in this situation, and someone gives me a nice, warm, well-wish. God's got this. You're okay. Oh, now I feel better. Thanks. We know what that's like, don't we? To, To be undergoing something that feels so real. So acute, so poignant, so difficult, and someone says, God's got you. I feel better now. That's not typically the way things go for me. But God does speak to his people through this man and gives them an incredible encouragement. The battle's not yours. This battle is God's. Revealing to us that God's people never have to fight alone. Never have to fight alone because God is fighting for his people. Beyond that, God gives them then specific instructions for how to fight this battle. Let's keep going. Look at verse 16. Tomorrow, march down against them. And that word tomorrow stuck out at me real big because you have to sleep on that. Three armies coming. Someone says, hey, God's going to take care of you. And you're like, great, great. Now get some sleep. Okay, I wonder how much sleep they got that night. I do, I wonder, because Jehoshaphat is saying, I'm looking at God, I'm fasting, I'm praying. I wonder if he slept a wink or if he slept like a baby. I don't know, but verse 16, they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Here's what's amazing about this He clearly says, This battle's not yours, this battle is God's. But go out there and face your enemy. Get out there. Take up positions. You need to get out and face your problems. God not only wanted them involved, He wanted them to face the problems, even though God was going to be the one to take care of them. Take up your positions, he says. Stand firm and see the deliverance from your enemy. God was asking his people to take a step of faith. He assured them he would take care of it. But he didn't didn't ask them to forget about the problem. Don't worry about the armies. He said, no, go out and face them. Which tells us we do not need to be people. Followers of Jesus do not need to deny reality. Ignore it. Insulate ourselves from it or medicate ourselves against it. In order to walk with God. God. We're not supposed to act like real life doesn't happen and that it's somehow simple or or uncomplicated or easy. We're called to stare reality in the face. But let God fight for us, facing our problems and trusting that the Lord will be with us. Let's keep going, verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing. This is verse 21. Sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. So here's what happens. The enemies are coming. Jehoshaphat's worried. He looks to God. God says through one of the people there, don't worry. God's got this. Go out and take up your positions. You're going to see the Lord deliver you. And so the enemy's pressing in, and the army's supposed to go out. And what do they do? They're not chanting. They're not beating their chest. They're not pounding their spears into the ground. They're singing. And just imagine. So my kids play organized sports. And it's always, you know, the song that plays as the team, come, the basketball team comes out, dribbles across the court. Our Montrose High School Lady Meteors team just went into the state tournament, made it to the final four. Very, very exciting. And it's that moment. You know what I didn't hear one single team do to intimidate the other team? Sing. They did cheers, they did chants, they made their shots and layups and all that kind of stuff, but not much singing. The only singing that happens is the national anthem, and hardly anybody sings that at the games. But this is what they're doing. They fall down and worship God loudly. I think it's interesting that Jehoshaphat, after hearing all this, sets aside some people to keep singing while the rest of them go fight. Not sure what he was trying to tell everyone else. They almost had a gifted group of singers but here's, here's the first takeaway, I think, that we can learn about worship in terms of drawing near to God, getting in tune with God. And that is this. Worship is God's battle plan. Worship is God's battle plan. How do we fight? When, when life, when problems, when difficulties penetrate our world, what do we do? If we're taking lessons from Jehoshaphat and the arm, armies of Israel, we worship. It's God's battle plan. I wonder what the song was. Was it Waymaker, no, probably not. Reckless love, no. A mighty fortress is our God. Nope, not even that. Had two lines, not dependent upon the tune or the talent of the singer or the songwriter. It was very simple. Here's line one. Give thanks to the Lord. Okay, I've got problems. We're about to be destroyed by these armies. What do we sing? Oh, sing give thanks. All right. How easy would it have been in a moment like this not to sing songs of gratitude? I mean, there's some psalms written in the scriptures. David praying God's vengeance down upon people who are attacking him. How about one of those? Thunder and lightning on their heads or something like that. It's not that. And for me personally, it's when I'm feeling the squeeze could even be a very simple thing in the morning or the evening. Not even a big deal, but my heart turns and I am anything but thankful. Why? Because my eyes are not fixed where Jehoshaphats are. My eyes are not fixed on God. They're fixed on me. This is not going the way I want. This is, you, you are not living your lives according to my preferences. What's your problem? And I make my family feel that way. Make the other people around me feel that way. I do not turn to thanksgiving when life closes in on me but they did and the truth is i think if you and i honestly stopped to consider all that god has done for us any followers of jesus here if we stopped to consider all that god has done and we really took stock of the change he's made in our lives would we ever really stop singing What a challenge. You see, we sing with gratitude because God has already taken care of our biggest problems. He's already taken care of the penalty, the power and penalty of sin. So we think that he can't take care of our lesser problems? It's really hard to tell yourself that. It's even, I think for me, harder to hear that from someone else. Even though I desperately need to hear that truth, sometimes you'll put yourself in the line of fire trying to help me out. Are you like that? Striking at the people who are trying to help you? And that's why I think it's so important that we come together here. Because I I don't know tons of you, but I know that many of you know each other. And I think that sometimes we just need to know the difficulties that are going on in someone else's life And look over on a Sunday morning and see that person who's really in the vice, lifting their hands in praise to God, singing at the top of their lungs. If they can do it, why can't I? If they will worship God through what they're going through, what is my excuse? I think that's part of the power of corporate worship in church. Getting our eyes off of ourselves and our problems onto God and looking at other people push through the difficulty to praise The second line of the song is, not only give thanks to the Lord, but his love endures forever. They were just singing and declaring truth. I can be thankful to God and he loves me. How do I know? Well, these three armies are pressing in against me. That, that's the evidence of God's love, evidently. No, they recognized he hadn't abandoned them. He hadn't left them alone. He hadn't run for cover He was their loving God, their eternal God. He was not going anywhere. I want to tell you this morning, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm telling you, God has not left you. So worship helps us back up from our problems. Stop from being so fixated on them and see the bigger picture and see that God is still there. Worship's not only battle plan. It also helps us see things as they really are. I think the second aspect of this drawing near to God through worship is this. Worship reminds us how big our God is. You see, when I'm feeling the squeeze of life I am hyper-focused on what is causing my problems and I am not looking at the God who's orchestrating the events of my life who loves me. That's what I think is so powerful about what they were singing. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Worship is part of God's battle plan for his people because it reminds us that no matter how big our problems are, and they can be huge, God is bigger. But sometimes, like me, I wonder if you just let your problems get in the way and crowd out your vision of seeing God. Desires for other things get in the way. Stresses, Fears or anxieties, they creep in there, cause us to take our eyes off of God because then our problems seem so close and God seems so far away. And that's what's so amazing about what Jehoshaphat did is he said, no, 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 God is close. Our problems are out there. God is near us and we will declare that truth no matter what's going on. You see, our praise doesn't make God bigger and our problems smaller. Our praise helps us see things and say things and think about things the way they really are. God is bigger than our problems. Our singing doesn't make him bigger or more powerful. God does not have an identity crisis. He's not worried about your problems. He's big. He's over them. We don't remind him of who he is. We remind ourselves of who he is. He hasn't forgotten. We have. So let's see what happens as they follow God's battle plan of worship. Look at verse 22. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of uh, Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another what? What? I love this. This is so God. This is is God showing people that only he can do stuff like this. We can fight. We can try. We can strive. We can work. It is nothing for God to take care of our problems. As they begin to sing, God confuses the enemy, these three groups, and they turn against each other. God takes care of their problems when they worship him in the face of their problems. There was a pastor in New York City some years ago who said this, worship is a problem for our problems. Worship is a problem for our problems. That's That's what it is. Worship declares war on our problems. It declares we serve a God who has already defeated sin, already defeated death, and so whatever is facing me is no match for him. That's what worship does. A God who's promised that we would be overcomers, that no weapon against us will stand, that the gates of hell will not stand in the face of the followers of Jesus. The church will prevail And again, as we said earlier, biblical worship puts God and his praise at the center of everything. And this is what is happening. Worship worship lowers the voice of our enemy. I I don't know what the three armies were doing as they were encroaching. I'm guessing it wasn't singing. But you know what happens when they begin to lift their voice? We're singing so loud now, I can't hear what's going on out there. It's, it's really powerful. And how often do I not even bother fighting because I'm so intimidated, I'm so worried, I'm so scared, I'm so concerned, I'm so mad that these problems are coming into my world and it just knocks me right off course. And I do anything but turn my eyes to God, anything but sing. Like I get, once I get past the problem and it gets taken care of, then I'll sing you know this is why we retreat from places we need to be when we're struggling? This is why you don't want to go to small group when things aren't going right in your life, and it's precisely why you need to. This is why we withdraw from church when things aren't all right in our world, and it's precisely why you need to be with other followers of Jesus worshiping. You see, this is not about rules and checking it off, and you're good if you're here and bad if you're not. We need this. This is God's program. We need it. Our children need it. Our students need it. We don't graduate from it until God says, new program in place, we're sticking with this one. It's not here to make you feel better about yourself and and, and you're attaining to new levels of whatever and you're following God. This is essential for life and it was essential for their survival. So worship helps us remember that nothing is bigger than our God and we have access to him and his power at all times. That's amazing. So worship is an act of war on your doubts as well, on your fears, on your anxieties, against your sin, against your shame. It declares no no matter how big your problems and doubts and fears are, God is bigger than all of them and that God has already won regardless of the outcome. Watch what happens as a result of God's people following his battle plan. Keep going. Verse 29. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. You see, everybody's hearing about this now. Look out. Look out about these Israelites. They'll sing, and then look out. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. And this is an amazing aspect of drawing near to God through worship. And that's this. Worship precedes peace. This is the reverse of how I play the script in my mind. Worship follows peace in my mind. Once I get it, all right, then I'm good. Now I'll return to church. I'll plug back in a small group. Yeah, now we're on track. Nope. Worship goes before They didn't get peace until after they faced their problems, until after they worshiped God in spite of their circumstances. Sometimes you and I, we, we need to sing before we experience the breakthrough. Sometimes we have to sing and declare God's truth to our hearts before we see it. Sometimes we have to sing our way into believing once again that God is good, that God is big, that God loves me, that I can trust him that he is faithful, that he is in control. Sometimes we have to sing so loud that we can no longer hear the voice of our fear, the voice of our doubt, the voice of our worry. If you're longing for that kind of peace, then you are a great candidate for worship. That's where we need to go. We need to worship first. Choose first to worship. This is a, such a challenge to my own heart. I'm not a fixer. I won't go right to work fixing it like some of you will. You just get get to work and you'll just control the situation so much you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, I will get paralyzed. That's what I do. You know, whole fight or flight thing. I'm kind of like... But neither one is our go-to option. It needs to be worship. If you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, there is a peace that none of us had that is available for you today. But I'll be honest as a follower of Jesus, I do not access this like I should and the result is you look at my life as someone who follows Jesus and say, that's what you're inviting me into? We don't get it right all the time. We don't you would be invited here into an imperfect group of followers of Jesus who need each other's help desperately because we mess it up all the time. The difference is the peace can be ours. Because if God would make peace between him and us, then God can make peace this way between me and you. If he can take care of my sin, if he can take care of death, He can take care of my other problems. And if you're here and you've not made the decision to follow Jesus yet, we would love to talk to you about that. Talk to anybody here on stage, anyone with a blue and white name tag. Better than that, ask the person who invited you here today. We would be honored to talk to you about that. So as we wrap up today, I want to quickly shift gears and... uh, just have us recognize that this is not simply a first part of the Bible, Old Testament thing. This is also a second part of the Bible, New Testament thing. We're going to jump right into Colossians chapter 3. And look at, look at how the, uh, Paul writes according to this pattern that Jehoshaphat seems to have laid down. Colossians 3 verse 15. We'll show it to you. You can navigate there if you like. Here's how it goes. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful let the message of christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the spirit singing to god with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him paul says the good news that jesus has taken care of our sin should should just sit heavy, but not as a burden, as a blessing. It should just fill your soul. It's like when when our family goes on vacation to the beach, we finally get there, I sit my chair down, and I sit down in front of the ocean, and I just close my eyes and take it in. (sighs) Let the word of Christ dwell among us like that. Paul says let the good news of Jesus be so intertwined in your time together with other followers of Jesus that it feels light to your soul, that it fills you with peace. And you do this, he says, by singing. Talking about church songs. Not only beneficial because it reminds us and teaches us about the truth, that God loves us and is bigger than our problems, but because it's also a command. It's amazing. Just like the people under Jehoshaphat, wasn't enough just to sing though, They also had to go out and face their problems. It's obedience in our lives, and it's worship with our mouths. And as we continue to prepare our hearts for Easter, as a church, we want to challenge you with some rhythms of worship. Here here are just three of the verses that I want you to, to, to remember, maybe write these down. First of this, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I want to challenge everyone here, look to God and just admit, I I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you, God. Secondly, the battle is not yours, but God's. I'm going to challenge you to face your problems. There is a battle here. We need to go out and face it, not deny it, not hide from it, not run from it, face it. But remember, it belongs to God. And thirdly, give thanks to the Lord. For his love endures forever. Let me encourage you to worship God through the battle. Now we're about to sing a song that couldn't have been written better for another message. The battle belongs. I'm going to pray and invite the band to come back up here. Let me encourage you, put what we've talked about right into practice. Sing. Sing loud we intentionally try to strike a balance in the sound of what you're hearing so that you don't have to be so embarrassed that everyone can hear only you, but not so loud that you can't hear anyone else. We try to find some kind of a balance in there. I'm asked I think you should just bring it. All right, let's, let's, all be, let's all pretend we are those groups of people that Joseph said, you keep singing, everyone else go fight. Let's just pretend for a minute. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. You love us and we wanna love you we to love you with all of our hearts and our souls and our mind and our strength and I'm asking you that in a way that only you can you would you would show up huge in our hearts so that our problems seem small as they really are compared to you that you'd be pleased and we would have an amazing story to tell the type of story that only you could be responsible for We sure need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.